Hey, Queer Public listeners, it's Erin. You Can't Kill a Poet is a poetry series that features the work of queer and trans poets here in Philadelphia. Today, I want to share with you event tape from the You Can't Kill a Poet five-year anniversary show. And because it's event tape, it's pretty long, but it's worth it if you stick around until the end. Maybe put it on while you're having a quiet night at home and need some literary inspiration. There are eight amazing poets to hear from, a few of which I talked to to gain further insight into their poetry practice and how their poems come to life. First, we talked to Boston Gordon, the creator of the event You Can't Kill a Poet. My name is Boston Gordon. I use they, them pronouns. I'm a poet and an artist living in Philadelphia. I'm queer and non-binary. I do write some fiction, but mostly poetry, and a lot of it's narrative poetry that engages with the ways we see our own bodies, the ways that we see our own desire, and often connecting that to the ways that we see the world, the ways that we treat the world. So a lot of the time I'll be writing about my body and then just start talking about fracking or global warming. I don't like get writer's block. I just am always writing. Like, yeah, You Can't Kill a Poet started as an idea I had back in 2014. I was finishing my MFA in poetry. I was working in queer nightlife, working the doors at burlesque shows and drag shows and dance club nights. And I was really thriving on being in queer spaces for like the first time. And I just sort of wanted to bring that energy to poetry and sort of evolve from that. Tajimam is kind of this punk hipster bar on South Street. You know, the interior is entirely covered with graffiti and it's kind of beautiful inside and and all kinds of performance activities upstairs in their backspace, which is filled with like old couches and chairs and bumper cars that everybody sort of crowds around in with their with their food and their beer and it makes for just like a really a really fun atmosphere but we have poets of all different skill levels getting involved people who have never read before people who are new to poetry people who have four books published and you know <laughs> we have a wide variety and i think the thing that kind of draws everyone to it is because i think there is something so engaging about being in like a space for queer and trans people only like so to have a dedicated space like that where people can be authentic I think is you know very attractive to people so we get people from all walks of life that just want to share their work my name is Boston Gordon and you're listening to the Queer Public Podcast this is You Can't Kill a Poet's five-year anniversary This all started five years ago with like me and like my friend and like three people who my friend was like, they're poets too. And we got together at the Wooden Shoe, which is a block that way. And uh, we read poems for like an hour and like 20 of my friends were there. And it was really fun. I was all the ones I've done now and how many more people come and I don't know, the stakes are so much higher. I was like, this is the most important thing I've ever done. And it was just 20 of my friends watching me read bad poetry. Like it was great. It was the best time. So I'm really glad that, uh, I'm really glad that I kept doing it and that we kept growing it. I, I have, I have all kinds of readers. I've had readers from all across the country come and visit. I've had dozens and dozens of Philly readers read and I've met it, it's really special to me that we've kept this going, and I appreciate you all keeping coming every month. Um, we're just going to jump in, because I like to jump in. But I do want to thank Tap Moms for having us. They've been a gracious host for maybe the past like 
three and a half years that we've been doing it. We started at the Wooden Shoe, and then we moved over here, and we jump around a little bit. We do other locations sometimes. But they've just been such a gracious host that I like sticking with them. They are always accommodating, always helpful, always respectful. They give us money sometimes when we need it. They give free drinks and food to the readers, and it's always a really good time packing in this room. So give it up for Tap Moms. I also want to give a shout out. We have a podcast recording us tonight, so there will be some posterity to this five-year anniversary. The Queer Public Podcast is recording. First up is Catbug. I'm uh, Catbug. I am a non-binary trans woman. Uh, I'm a student studying creative writing at Temple University. I started just taking different creative writing classes. I ended up taking a poetry class, and the professor, I talked to him he ended up just uh, handing me his like recent book. I was like, oh cool, I can borrow this. And he said, oh no, that's free. Everything in poetry is free. You don't make money. And if that's like what you're doing, you're not gonna have a good time in this. And so yeah, I just kind of caught the bug and have been just writing since, you know? I feel like most of the time I write because there's always been like a wall between me and the world. And there's a just a big distance at least and a lot of the time I don't know how to communicate myself to the world and what is happening inside of me and poetry is a way to reduce that distance for me. My name is Catbug, my pronouns are she, her, and you're listening to the Queer Public Podcast. Catbug is a trans woman studying creative writing at Temple University. Through poetry she explores the spaces where trauma and mental illness meet the body and how to find agency within them. She is the co-event coordinator for Babel Poetry Collective and owns Three Swords. She is the recipient of the 2019 William Van Wert Creative Writing Award, and you can find some of her work on Punch Drunk Press or voicemail poems. If she looks familiar, yes, you did match with her on Tinder that one time. Please give it up for Catbug. Um, it's really nice to be here. I love this room. It's like everywhere I look, I'm dissociating. Um, anyway, uh, I can't believe we've all been dating for five years. That's really beautiful. Um, I'm sorry I only brought you poetry. Uh, so I'm actually generally from uh, slam culture. That's what Babel is. And uh, we have this thing, we call it an energy exchange. So if I could just do an energy check real quick, if that would be cool. Um, so if y'all could repeat after me. Mm. Mm. Trans rights? Trans rights. Fuck ice. Fuck ice! That was really good. Y'all are great. <laughs> I love you. Um, all right, so uh, another a problem with slam is that there's a lot of, uh, it's got a big trauma porn culture, and I'm going to try to avoid that tonight. Um, so I brought mostly some love poetry for y'all since it's our fifth anniversary. <laughs> uh, my therapist recently suggested I give up love poetry, and I was like, <sighs> But then I was like, yeah. But then this girl added me on Facebook and called me cute, so I bought this ring. And then it turns out she lives in Pittsburgh, so this first poem is to somebody else I met three nights ago. <laughs> Trans girls are lavender dust and melancholy. Your shoulder is like gravity. 
mermaid hair, a peck of pickled hearts, salty, like me. And then, yes, I did send that to her. Um, it went fine. <laughs> uh, any of you ever be gay in public? Um, <laughs> Uh, so this is a different kind of love poem. It was recently in uh, voicemail poems, and it's called To the Staring Boy on 43rd and Walnut. Your face is a silent confessional, hair an evolving demarcation of time, so easily broken by the unkind curve of your brow. Who sewed those eyes with that disapproval? Is it the same one who misdirected your nose? Or is that the nose of the warmer months not wasted? A four-wheeled slip? A skid mark of blood you could afford to lose? The hint of freckles on your cheek, do they darken in the sun? The single pimple that clings to your bare chin, an indication of youth so heavy in your veins. Have you ever seen your father cry? Do you choose to be designated driver, preferring the responsibility of love? Will you fall asleep tonight beneath an undecorated wall, still unwilling to recognize the uncomfortable darkness making a broken home of your skull. Does your sister know just how much you miss her? The last person to kiss those dry and downward sloping lips. Did you beg them to swallow your heart only to realize you couldn't get it back? When you look at me with mahogany altar eyes, what do you see? Thank you. Uh, if you can't tell, I have the poems memorized, but not the jokes. So, um, <laughs> uh, so as a queer person, I feel kind of weird that most of the time I just never write sex poetry, uh, but I figured out all you need to write lesbian sex poetry is something about God, um, the moon, and to sound just a little like you're eating pussy. Um, this one is forthcoming in Yes Poetry as of yesterday. It's called Sleepy Poem. I want to fall asleep on you, the moon of you, the spoon bending. Can you feel it? Gravity beneath fingernails, burnt ember forest, fall day. Remember this? Slip beneath me if you want. I want to fall asleep on you. Dogma, Armageddon, mouth feel sound. I want to lick your teeth in a romantic way. Wake, a trail behind I want to fall asleep on. Have you been to church in years? It's all very mechanical. Dogma, Armageddon, fuck, that's the same line. It's all very mechanical. <laughs> um, God hates, animatron tongue, God hates horny, praise the clit. Body, why open? A careful y'all. Thank you. So um, this next one is kind of like similar, but it's a lot more embarrassing to read. Uh, I have to go in on it to make it work. If y'all could just come with me, not like that, but like a little like that. Um, this one's called Horny Poem. I want to be a generic fuckdo. Euphemize me. Spit on me. Unmoan. Brick. Flagellate up the, the. The, the, the less is tongue to tongue. The it is this, 
I need to tell you, purple highlight. This poem scares me, invokes me hard. Desire to consonant a name, verbalize a picture, just touch your nose. Thank you. That was so nice. This is like always the friendliest space to be in. I love coming here and I'm really happy to be able to read here. Um, so uh, knowing what I said about trauma before, um, I don't really have a happiness that's fully divorced from trauma and my love doesn't exist fully divorced from trauma. Uh, I try, I have one that's not full on, um, has mention of sexual assault, but uh, this one is about trying to get better. And I'm going to pull it up because I don't want to fuck it up. It's really, this is my longest one, so I'm sorry. Um, I, did, I do do slam poetry, so it's sometimes no really apologies. annoying. Yeah, fuck you, I'm not sorry. <laughs> Lock front door against pinprick snow. Encase fingers in frostburnt knuckles. Ask what I want and I'll tell you. Meet me where sun meets horizon where distance mimics convergence, the whole universe fucking to the sound of my voice when I say, not tonight. Live with me in the moment between first date and that first intersected morning, where hair fails mimicking bodies, as if hair could not like this body. I'm no acrobat, but been fucked through dysphoria enough to learn a trick or two. This body knows just how to contort more comfortable for you, can fold into any box labeled love me, anything to convince you to touch me more than tonight. Sexuality is flexible, so I am too. And I'm guarded in my sleep, ready for you to go. Like the boy who didn't have to come to leave something behind in me. The boy I bought a lift for after he knotted my throat. Internal noose I still can't untie. Or the first girl convinced she loved my body. Rested hands on my cheeks like embers and my face unshaped ice, but still couldn't feel like a lesbian. When sunbursts break through jagged blinds, your pinky wakes me from this nightmare, outlining the curve of my ear. Tender voiced, you ask what I want, and I almost tell you, compress my heart into yours because they feel too far apart. Let me pry open your chest and crawl inside it to stay warm. The snow this first week of October is freezing over the pipes in my house. When they thaw, they burst, and this body can't hold up the ceiling anymore. But that's okay, because I'm not God. Won't flood the earth, won't let clouds spit 40 days of my shame on your soil, so my fingers make angels in your hair. All of heaven fucking to the sound of my voice when I tell you, I'm going to take a breath, look at snowdrift curves of this white blanket dipping in more comfortable places. I'm going to drink a glass of water. I'm going to shower with the lights on. Thank you. So uh, I'm just going to do a plug real quick, if I can. Um, 
So I'm really excited. On June 1st, uh, me and some other people are going to be launching what I think is going to be Philadelphia's only all non-cis arts collective or exclusively non-cis arts collective. Um, it's going by the name of deadname.arts and you can follow us on social media. Uh, we are at underscore deadname um, and our first showcase is on the 26th. I don't know how we did that. Our founder is like the most ridiculous fucking dude. Anyway, um, if I could get up on a soapbox for a second. Uh, as a Jewish person living in the Imperial Center, I feel like it's partially my responsibility to speak out against the state that's currently occupying Palestinian territory, which calls itself Israel. Um, and I do that from a specifically Jewish perspective. And this next poem is called, it's my last poem, so thank you for letting me be here. Um, it's called Alam Haba, which translates to the world to come. Uh, that is the Jewish idea of the messianic age. Mom never explained thunder as God bowling. Instead, she'd claim, staring through rain-spattered glass, thunder might one day be the return of Eliyahu Hanavi. Horses stomping fire through clouds, the prophet's chariot, the comet of change arriving to crown the Messiah. I sleep in a new city these nights, beside electric arteries cracking the sky, where the only sound is atmosphere splitting. I haven't lost faith, but no longer fear thunder. Understanding the nature of magic is the only way to exploit it. At the Shabbat table on Fridays, a family built purposefully gives in to impatience, chooses not to wait, carries each other till feet crack and bleed, and another set of footprints for a moment takes their place. God has not abandoned us, but the earth is made of clay and mud. The creation of a golem too is a form of worship proof the divine cannot escape the reach of a human hand. It has been said that the Messiah does not exist. Maybe that this is something we build, all of us remembering Christians pray to a carpenter, that holy is something we enact with tools and lungs. And so, my friends, join me in this prayer. Olam haba, establish homes of worship on every acre of every estate fertilized with extracted blood. Olam haba, open doors to the cold, locking profit in the snow. Olam haba, know that Israel is not a place where subjugation may exist. No Israel may turn another nation to soil or plant a starred and striped flag. Olam haba, and when that US flag burns, we will know the fate of all false idols. Olam haba. When we stop waiting on revelation, stop waiting for heaven to swallow the earth, stop waiting, we will lower our eyes from the sun, look at each other, and see God. Thank you so much for having me. Um. <laughs> and I did the thing that I always do, which is I forget to introduce myself, which my name is Boston Gordon, and I'm the founder and curator of You Can't Kill a Poet, so that's who I am. We have another reading coming up on June 26th at the South Philly Free Library. That's the one on Broad Street. Um, that's, a, that's a show where people under 21 can come, unlike these shows, and it's a little bit earlier, and it's in celebration of Pride Month at the library.
and it's handicap accessible, unlike Tat Moms, which is one of the problematic things. But if you can tell me a nighttime place that rents out a space like this that is on the first floor of a bar in Philadelphia, you let me know because every single one of them is on the second floor. Every single one. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's what we have coming up in events. Um, and then probably a bit of a break for the summer. Not maybe the whole summer, but probably not till August after that. Um, we usually do this every other month. There's a little bit of a break since, I think the last one was in February, but I can't even remember because this spring has just, I haven't like been home for like 20 of the past 30 days, so I'm a little exhausted. And I was thinking about how I planned this, and I was like, why did I plan this for the end of May? And then I remember that it's the anniversary, and I literally like, I'm like such a sucker and a sap for like anniversaries and like the like, dates. I'm like really like, I'm like, guess what happened on this day seven years ago? And people are like, what? And I'm like, we went to Ikea together and got ice cream. <laughs> and people are like, why? I am an obsessive time hop checker. Does anybody do time hop anymore? Like one person, two people. Like no one does time hop anymore because it was cool like four years ago. I've done it for 900 straight days. <laughs> That is a streak that I am proud of, and no one cares. <laughs> oh, we're going to move right along. I, I just think that um, there's like nostalgia, and then there's your own personal brand of nostalgia, which is like heavily documenting everything that you did over your life and uh, remembering the days that things happen. I'm also like, I'm great at birthdays. I always remember people's birthdays. Like, people will be like, oh, like, you know, like like random coworkers will be like, oh, my birthday. And I'm like, yeah, on September 5th. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, you know, because it was the same week that we had that meeting. And I remember that we sat down, you know. That's how I am about that. Ugh. I'm not feeling loosey-goosey this evening about my hosting duties. I usually get up here and pretend to be a stand-up comic, but I think I'm being kind of a cheese ball, so forgive me. Thanks. I don't even know who said that. Oh, thanks, Tracy. This is such a good room. I don't even see that many alums, though. I was going to be like, if you've read it, you can't kill a poet before, raise your hand. And I'm pretty sure everyone who's here that read it, you can't kill a poet before, is reading tonight as an alum. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Present company excluded. <laughs> All right. Lee Shu is up next. Lee Shu has lived in West Philly for maybe a long second now. They have at times felt like a poet and a writer. Now is not one of those times. When they do write, it's usually about ghosts. They don't currently have a website, so ask them about their comics and zines. Or if you are, ever have been, or ever will be a poet and or writer of color, ask them about writing and conversation with each other, or ask them to show you videos of their birds. I need to know about your birds. What kind of birds? Oh. 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 No, one of my fondest things in the world besides time hop is birds. So. <laughs> I love birds. Me too. I used to have birds. I have this. This was a bird I had when no. I was growing up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, give it up for Lee Shu. <laughs>
How do you do, fellow homos? <laughs> um, I'm nervous. This is my first time reading in public. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very thrilled to be here. Um, it, it would be during a tornado watch. <laughs> um, you, you heard Boston introduce me. Um, since I'm not a poet, you actually can kill me. It might <laughs> Tonight might be the night. <laughs> anyway, I guess I'll just read. <laughs> Maybe you are afraid to go outside. I can't blame you. It's not really imposter syndrome, more like transgender liar syndrome. Do not want your pity, though I could definitely use it. This world is a gas leak, so light me the fuck on fire. You hope that you will write more than the poetry of shame. You hope that you will be more than the skin of shame you fight the world, the whole world you know. Fight it, are it, in and of it. You hope that your shame will fight the world. You hope that your shame and the world will both lose. You hope that all will be lost in that fight. You hope that some other life finds a way. This next poem is called, Call Me By My Dead Name. <laughs> The one my father gave me, like so many of his gifts without futures. Call me by these dead eyes that scroll like pages, close like cities, and fall like garments in the long night. Call me by the dead oceans, folding dead worlds in their warm waves. Once whole names and whole lives turning in their time before time and time after. Please, call me hideous things, things that shift and swell, the names you save for silence, the world that sheds its skin, the futures that arrive too soon, the hideous futures that have arrived. I'm shaking. I can't control it. Uh, speaking of which, the next poem is called Sabotage. <laughs> How would you know if you were possessed? Maybe you would write to yourself, hoping that it was you who was writing. Maybe you would hope that you wrote back. Maybe you do not recognize your reflection, but recognize that it is something that should be recognized. Or maybe there is no reflection at all, only you bent in light. In many ways, we each are we, but what possessed you to change your mind? Your body is an uneasy anarchy. It is not in accord from one end to the other, not in accord with what is outside. There must be some way that you have come to know this. There must be some you that has come to know this way. Who are you and what have you done? Um, 
so this next poem is a love poem. Um, it's a love letter, actually. It's um, part of a series of letters that I am uh, writing, or writing and sort of drawing. I, I sort of write and I sort of draw um, a, a chapbook that's been in production for probably a year now, and I hope to God that it is in production for only one more year. <laughs> um, but yes, this is a, a love letter. I want to celebrate you like a festival, throw handfuls of you in the air, dance for you, sing your name, seed the clouds with you until you fall from the sky. I want to hold all of you, your form, your space, your time, hold you in ways that you like and in ways that you like release you. I want to touch the air with you, the water, the great emptiness, the enharmonic phrase, oxidation, the last parts, the filament, the obsidian. I want to bury myself in you and winter and wallow and whisper very thin things, a very thin skin and a frail pair of wings. You are so slight like me, and if you are not alone, then I am not alone. And if you like, I will hang from the stars, thrash in the dirt, I'll show you. If you like, I will eat my thin tears, call your smell, bring you water, and take you wherever you go. You are a flood, you are a flood. Thank you, thank you. I have just a few more. Um, this next one is an old one and a short one. It's so great. Um, <laughs> it's taken me this long to grow this strong. I will take longer and longer. I will grow stronger and stronger. Right. Have mercy on yourself. Lie in your own mercy like a puddle. Writhe in it wriggle, writhe, write. Write poetry, kid. Write your fucking soul. Write it away. Go away with it. Leave, 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 <laughs> leave. Write poetry. Um, and this last one is also a love poem. It's entitled Pulmonaria. My, uh, my, my coworkers are here, we're gardeners, so they, they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Love is a lung, a long road, a long, long rope. Even in this breathless dream, there will be people who find you beautiful, people who find you repulsive. Worse still, people who find you beautiful for all the wrong reasons. We too will be those people. Our very lives breathed into this lifelike dream on the lungs of many lovers and many others at many times. When there's no time left in this evil world, no world left in this evil time, where are you? Sometimes I steal away time to make more. Sometimes I hold my breaths. Is anyone home? Lips, thin membranes, lesions, history lessons, and time wounds, all healing. 
the comfort of knowing, the knowing of comfort, knowledge, carnal, wisdom, toothless. We are still animals out of darkness. I wish I could explain to you how I came to write all these love letters, but in all honesty, they were as easy as breathing. Letters of love circulated to write me and write the me that loves you enough to want to explain. Love is a lung, and at times you fill it, and at times it fills itself, and at times it seems it will burst, and letters rarely send themselves, even in breathless dreams, and I want to share this world and its currents and its air, and I want, 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 want you. I want you to be breathing. Please be breathing. Thank you. Give it up for Lee Shu. That was your first time reading in public? It won't be your last, I promise. That was phenomenal. Um, wow, yeah. We're starting, we're starting the night with, with, uh, with, I guess we'll call them freshmen of You Can't Kill a Poet, because we always have new folk, but we, we like to bring back alums too, especially for anniversary readings. So this might be a heavily alum one, but I think it's, a, I think it's almost half and half. I think maybe four alums to three newbies. So uh, that's a pretty good mix. Yeah. Um, I, I like all the references to dead names we've had so far. I'm fond of the term, but I generally call my dead name my government name because that feels like more accurate. It's just like the thing that's on my passport that I haven't changed because I don't have a thousand bucks, you know? Um, everybody who I've ever known who's straight and cis and gotten married is like, how much, why don't you just change it? It's like 200 bucks and you go down and fill out some forms. And I'm like, nope, like when you're trans, it's a thousand bucks and you have to go and talk about how you're trans in front of a judge. <laughs> Another thing that I was thinking about really hard tonight while I was sitting here is that there's a graffiti up here that says, maybe the rain just falls to feel your touch. And I, I, it's in like fancy script. And I thought it said, maybe the rain just falls to feel your toad. <laughs> so if you got wet tonight, just think about how the rain maybe just fell to feel your toad. <laughs> we have an alum. We have Barry Grass coming up next. Barry Grass is an essayist and personal stylist for Brie Larson and Tyler, the Creator. <laughs> their first book, Hall of Waters, is available now for pre-order, and you should come to their book launch reading in late August. I will be there. Please give it up for longtime reader and listener, Barry Grass. Like y'all have seen the the Tyler the Creator like videos for the new album. That's just like how I was dressing like two months ago exactly. <laughs> I've been called a trendsetter, and I won't refuse that compliment. Uh, I'm feeling very sentimental tonight. Um, thank you, Lee and Catbug. Thank you, Quinn and Janice and uh, Laura and Kashmir for reading with me. Also coming up. Um, thanks, Boston for all the work you do for this series, which is my favorite in the city. Yeah, I'm feeling very sentimental. Uh, this, this reading series was, it's actually like almost to the day my fifth anniversary of being in the city too, come to think of it, just a couple of days away. 
but You Can't Kill a Poet was my first, the first reading series to, to book me. Um, and that means an awful lot to me. And so in my sentimental kind of sappy way, I thought I would read the piece that I read in that You Can't Kill a Poet back in like 2015 or so. Uh, it's an essay in sort of like four, a lyric essay in four parts. Um, it's about action figures. <laughs> you know, there's like this like narrative or whatever, you know, like the very like binary trans woman, trans feminine narrative that like, oh, I was a child and I was like playing with Barbies and discovered something about myself. And some trans writers feel like pressure to like conform to some of those tropes and I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I played with Barbies, like certainly, just a lot. Um, but, but really, like, there's a lot of stuff going on with action figures for me, and that's what this essay is trying to like, get at in its, its own way. Uh, so this, this essay is called Blister Card. Desert Scorpion. Nobody volunteers to be a scorpion the desert sun like a lash, a fine grit always increases of skin. The official G.I. Joe intelligence dossier located on the back of this figure's packaging says that the job of a desert scorpion is given out as punishment for underperforming rank and file Cobra troops. In the barracks, the dossier claims, each scorpion thinks of himself as a desperate, isolated individual. Desert Scorpion often found themselves saving my imaginary cities, their prefab castles and Lego storefronts from fates ruinous and destructive. They looked out of place in their muted brown gloves and their sleeveless goldenrod shirt. This is the cinematography of play. Desert Scorpion facing a river breeze, their fabric shawl blowing back like hair, urban lens flare gleaming off their red goggles, their yellow mask. My heroes wore masks. I learned how bodies work because of action figures. Balls in your shoulders allow for full range of movement. A rubber hoop rests in your hip and holds everything in place. I learned how my body works because of Desert Scorpion. I would take a single knee and hold that position, my knee articulation sturdier than the free pivot of my upper leg. I could balance them in crouching position forever, placing their center of gravity just above the hip hoop. Notice my legs. When I walk, the power comes not from my hips, but from my knees. My knees force out the lower legs and feet while my upper legs stay stable. This is the physics of play. Just try to make a G.I. Joe walk with one hand while the other brings down a plastic helicopter. Notice those legs. There is a time when heroes with names would save the day. My thumbs wearing the paint off of snake eyes as thighs, storm shadow nicked up with contact scrapes. Those heroes wore masks, but it was an act. Animation and voice actors told me who they were beneath the guise. I didn't call Desert Scorpion Desert Scorpion. In the cities of my world, no one knew their real name. I stripped them of the non-essential parts of their branded identity. I discarded their back-mounted missile launcher, their biologically impossibly large scorpion companion. 
In my world, they would walk past people, never giving their name. I made them say savior, but to them, streets were sand. Heroism was survival, community a mirage. I never volunteered to be my favorite. Swoop writer. A view in profile. Tight black, sleek arms in permanent bicep curl, no elbow articulation, ready for fight and flight, ready because there is no difference, leather and yellow metal containing this body's strength. And I mean, it is being contained, held back, like the helmet holds back the face and by doing so becomes the face. Gauntlets become your hands. A plate subsumes your chest suggesting the breasts underneath that you wish you had. Individual stormtroopers, while anonymous, at least benefit from having iconic helmets. Nothing outwardly memorable about the rider. They were a throwaway toy, packaged with a swoop bike, a rust-colored speed machine for more favored figures. No one bought the swoop for its generic rider, except maybe for me. Their helmet ventilation, shaped like a triforce, became a curt mouth. Their visor became wide vision. They observed so much and looked like they just couldn't quite figure it out. Outside of my world, I was the kind of kid who was neither included or excluded. I wasn't popular, rarely bullied. I could talk with every little lunchroom sect, but I had only a few deep friendships. For the most part, I was just there, appearing to everyone else at school like another peer off the assembly line. In my world, Swoop Rider picked up a cape at some point, a Jedi's robe, a, a black monasticism. They picked up a purple lightsaber too. In my world, they subsumed its former hero new armor for a new year, new heft to the musculature, stiffer movements, but bigger presence. My heroes always had my perspective, my ego, my feeling that I was something different underneath the armor. They used a purple lightsaber because I would if I were them. I could identify with them because I identified with the creation of them, making the singular and special out of scattered anonymity. Assassin one, blue version and variant red version. In my world, the toys got bigger along with me. They became more specific along with me. The crossbows fired multiple arrows, the chests had nipples, the ankles had purpose. What I imagined about myself became more specific. I wanted long hair to hide behind. I wanted to glow, to feel an energy fueling me. In my world, I wanted to be both me and more than me. I never read the comics. I don't know how wet works. I don't know anything about this assassin except for how I yearn to be them, a projection in plastic molding. I'm holding them, assassin and assassin both in my hands. Black mask, black knee pads, black gauntlets, and a core of color. All flesh replaced with translu translucent blue slash translucent red. I turn the feet downward as if standing on tiptoes. I turn the wrists over. With the curl of fingers, it looks like they're drawing in power. 
like their whole bodies made of power. I lift them slowly above my head, an electric god ascending to an unknowable throne. I, I use this figure to represent a Super Saiyan or Megazord type of ultimate transformation, a final form. In my world, there is a story. In my world's climax, there is a transformation to blue versus a transformation to red. With nothing left to transform into, the story's ended. A cardboard city with its heroes of dust. And this was the denouement of play. Years later, me, now, realizing that my world represented my desires and that I ended my world because I thought I couldn't attain what I wanted. To be myself in a way I could disappear within. To be known, but to also have a private existence. To be seen by everyone and no one at the same time. Mobile Suit 07B3 Goof Custom. After I ended my world, narratives weren't constructed. What was constructed was construction, the deliberate snap from kits. Model pieces cut away from plastic hinges arranged according to diagram. Removal of narrative of creativity was supposed to be removal of the self. The, the models I bought were 1 100th scale fighting robotic battle suits from a Japanese anime. From afar, they looked like action figures, weapons, articulation, but they were too delicate for play. They were meant only to represent themselves, a still signifier. I used their instruction sheets as a sort of rune or, or way into meditation, the silence of executing someone else's idea. In 8th MS Team, a mobile suit Gundam miniseries, a pilot named Norris Packard took the mass-produced anonymous goof mobile suit and made one faster, more agile, more dangerous, like a super stormtrooper or angel after Apocalypse got through with him. You see, some pilots hide within their mobile suits, let the suits look like something other than they are, more menacing or capable or masculine or anything but afraid. But Norris Packard altered his suit to be more like who he was. It looked like itself, but sharper, goof and not goof. Where the other Gundam models I built were for the sake of constructing them, I think I was drawn to the goof custom because it was my ideal blueprint, a way to stand out from fitting in. And all I did was fit in sales rack, department store clothing, and an understanding that blending in is getting through, and even the outliers were fads. Focus tested by male peers, third grade bowl cut, sixth grade Jinkos, ninth grade Doc Martens. Funny how I came around to most of those. <laughs> I used my toys as a way to construct myself. Goof custom, standing posed on my desk, showed me what I needed to see, that it is possible to push out from the ranks to show the world you aren't playing. Thanks for indulging that nostalgia with me, everyone. Thank you.
Barry has always the most lovely things to say about You Can't Kill a Poet, so I'm eternally grateful to have made a friend in them through this and to, to have them back time and again to read. I hope that, uh, I hope that we'll have many readings in the future together. Uh, give it up for Barry again. We're going to have one more reader, and then we're going to take a break. Cashmere uh, Harper's up next. Cashmere Harper is a multifaceted artist based out of Philadelphia. There, uh, she is author of the poetry series The Thought Process and photographer of the hashtag WeBoudoir2 project. As a poet and author, all of her poems are inspired by love, self-love, love in a romantic relationship, love from and for family and friends, even the pain and disappointment that comes with love. As a photographer, she has an eye for capturing the perfect moment, no matter if she is shooting an event or doing a one-on-one -on -one session, she takes pride in highlighting your forever memories. Named the moment capture by her clients, Kashmir is working hard to push representation of black and brown, as well as queer folk in all forms of photography, starting with the hashtag WeBoudoir2 project, which is a visual art campaign to increase representation of people of color in boudoir photography. She has a passion for promoting love and empowering others Love is her default setting. Please give it up for Kashmir Harper. Hello. Can y'all hear me? Because I tend to talk very softly. Um, so yeah, everything you read was me. Um, I, am a, I don't believe in coincidences. Um, but the day that I got the email from you about performing here, um, I don't do time hop, but Facebook reminded me that, um, in the memories that it had been four years since I released my first book. And I was just like, oh, well, when I get the five years, I'm gonna do something special. And then you hit me up and it was like, oh, for the five years. I was like, okay, so it was meant for me to be here. Um, then today was not really a good day for me. Like, I got my first parking ticket as a driver, like a legal driver. Oh. <laughs> I just got my, my license in um, December, so yeah. Um, yeah, I got my first parking ticket. And then, I, I, I don't even have a car, so I had my best friend's car, because her and her girlfriend went to Jamaica, and I was supposed to pick them up at the airport, and I picked them up at the airport, and I lost my iWatch, hopping out the car. So a lot of stuff happened. Then I was like, right when I was coming from the airport, the skies opened up, and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. But I'm here, so I'm supposed to be here. Thank you for having me. Um... Usually when I perform, I fill the room out and figure out what I'm going to say and choose from a million things that I have wrote before. Um, after I got the email and I thought about, you know, doing something big for next year when I hit my five year, um, I actually started writing new. So I'm going to do a few new pieces today, if that's okay for y'all. And then I'll end with some old pieces and then my favorite piece. Good. Yeah. Right. So in honor to, in honor of, you can't kill a poet. 
Um, I actually want to read something that I wrote about another poet. He's actually the only man that I've ever wrote about. <laughs> For real? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's he's such an inspiration, so I figured I'd start with that. And I've I've never read it before. He's never even heard it, which is weird. Um, but yeah. Um, it's called Lindo Yes. His name is Lindo Yes. So. A black man st standing at maybe five, seven, a hundred and something pounds. I don't know. I didn't bring a measuring stick or a scale, but he might as well have been the jolly green giant because he stood in an eight by eight room full of white faces wearing a hoodie. I met him on a Sunday evening at an open mic. His set moved me to do a second set without notes. I invited him to a show I was doing the next day. He arrived early on a one-day notice when my best friend didn't show up with knowledge of it weeks in advance. Back in the eight-by-eight eight room full of white faces in his hoodie, he stood before the crowd. He started off with a melody that will play in my head every time I think of him. When was the last time I held a man in my arms like a baby? He said and snapped fingers. I think he hypnotized us. Don't let me speak for myself. I'm stuck with my eyes wide open, allowing his words to penetrate my mind, moisturizing the side of the brain I don't use often. Now I follow him. He channels, channel, channels within me. I'm able to release lines like butterflies from my nervous stomach whenever I perform before more than my own pair of eyes looking back at me in the mirror. I follow him. And when I'm not feeling my best, I log in and I search at Lindo Yes. This next one doesn't really have a title. Um, I'm just going to read it. I don't even know how to introduce it. Uh, so yeah. I'm from the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. But they gave my sister life for her first offense. My mother didn't birth any men, and my father was a thief. A thief. I get my style from my uncles and my strength from my aunts was shown the finer things in life, yet not told how to attain them. And still, I stand before you, living my best life. Most don't see it, because I don't pop pills or smoke weed. Wait, hold up, cash. I thought you said you was from Philly. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'm from the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. Sometimes I get ex extra sisterly affection because I'm a lesbian. Because I'm a lesbian, I don't get much brotherly love, as if me being me attacks his masculinity. Yes, I'm a bit masculine, but I don't want to be a man. I'm equally feminine, and ironically, that makes me a misfit in my own community. Too hard to be a film, too soft to be a butch, and I don't dress cool enough to be androgynous. <laughs> <laughs> I once dated a woman who had I once dated a woman who had 
who had thought one day I would transition. She was in love with me, but thought the community wouldn't allow her, wouldn't allow her in certain spaces if she was a lesbian. When I say community, I mean the LGBT community. Wait, what? Hold on, cash. Are you talking about Philly? Yep, I'm from the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection, more like brothers fuck up and sisters clean up. Nana, Nana treat, treated the boys different than the girls. She had to scrub steps on Saturdays while he got to play video games with his friends. She had to sit up straight and cross her legs while he got to swag out. And the man was the man in his suit with his shirt unbuttoned. But I, I mean, she had to light, had to be light. I mean, she had to be straight. I mean, she had to have her hair straight. I mean, her skirt had to be straight or below her knees just so she could weave through the oohs and eyes, and damn, baby, you fine. And this poem ain't have nothing to do with Philly. The city of brotherly love and sisterly affection, where I'm from, but it's about where I'm coming from. That piece sounded so much better out loud. Like when I wrote it, it was just like, oh, it's not that good, but that sound great. <laughs> I'm of the mind that some poems are like meant to be in a book and some poems are meant to be read out loud. Right, right, right. It was right. like a Venn diagram looked like that, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, so yeah, so those were like the two new ones. Oh no, wait, I got another new one. Um, so this one I wrote not too long ago. And it had everything to do with my like New Year's resolution and what I was going to take this year. And I wasn't going to take no shit and, you know, fuck love every now and then. So, every now and then. Oh, um, so yeah. Number two, second, the other one, both. These words, phrases have been removed from my love language. I will no longer be an option. You will not need to choose. There is no number two or other one because I am the only one. I won't give you a second to figure out if this is what you want. A friend told me real was rare, and baby, I'm, as, I'm one of the dying breeds. So if you feel any need to hesitate, that second will be a minute too late. Okay, I got two more. That's good. I'm good. I'm good. Um, so yeah, so the thought process is a three book series. Um, the first one, which is this one, is the thoughts of a tainted heart. Then it's thoughts of a lost soul, and then it's thoughts of the unheard, which is the anthology. And I got like uh, people to submit work from all over the world. Um, I just said send me something that you think someone needs to hear. And that's how that book came up. Um, but this is my favorite. This is my first. This is my baby. This is where all the blood, sweat, and tears went in and how I figured out everything. Um, so I'm going to read the, my favorite one in this book, which is called Guilty. Um, if I can find the page. While I'm looking for the page, I have copies of all three books if anybody wants to catch up with me later. You can get all three for 25 but they're $10 a piece. I also have my photography, which is also great. Y'all should check that out, too. 
<laughs> I walked into the courtroom handcuffed. I stand before the judge with no shame, for I know not what I do. As she reads my, out my charges, I look around confused. One count of loving unconditionally, two counts of poor judgment, 10 counts of loyalty, 10 counts of honesty. When she's done reading the list, she looks up and asks, how do you plead? I look at her, and then I look at my lawyer, and I look back at her, and I say guilty. She sentenced me to life. It is to be served in the, the Lesson Learned Correctional Center, where I must say, it's not such a bad place. It's not many people here. Okay, so the last piece is kind of short, but it's usually my favorite. I'm going to get kind of in costume for it, um, if I can find it. I usually know it by heart, but today I don't think I can, I can do it. It's going to be hard to see it. Okay. Your smile is your best feature. They don't want to see it, though. Smiling makes them insecure. Like, what the fuck are you smiling for? But I put on my designer geek, show my gums and teeth. Like, fuck your insecurities. Excuse my French, but I'm unapologetic for my English. My smile is my fire. You can't extinguish. Thank you. Um, if anybody wants to follow me, you can follow me at, at Author Cashmere for my poetry and at Ebony Lenses for my photography. Um, like I said, I have copies of all books and photography with me. Just catch me at the end. I'm going to hang around for a minute, but thank you very much. Thank you, Cashmere. Fabulous. Um, we're going to take a 10-minute intermission, and then we're back with the second half. So come back and find your seats. Uh, we got four more readings coming up. Thank you. Hey, it's me again. I hope you're enjoying the show. Thanks for sticking around. Just a quick word about helping us out. We always want you to do the usual things. Review us on iTunes to help people find the show, donate on Patreon. But we're independent and we're scrappy, and we wanted to make it a little bit easier to spread the word about Queer Public. So if you have a local coffee shop or community board, I can send you flyers in the mail to leave in those spaces with information about the show. It's a super easy way to help us out. Get flyers in the mail, drop them off at your favorite queer or feminist bookstore, coffee shop, or DIY space. Slide into my DMs at Queer Public on Instagram. But look how orderly everyone is. This has been one of the more quiet audiences that I've had here. But I, li I like it rowdy, so. But it's like, as soon as I get on the mic, everyone's like, okay, okay. Normally I'm like, hello, hello. I need to be like a teacher. What did, did, did teachers like put two fingers up or something? I don't remember. 
<laughs> not Boy Scouts. <laughs> yeah, if people want to come, the people who are sitting here before left, so you can fill in this space here, you can sit around here. No one is taking advantage of this chair, so someone can have it. He's like, man, I'm sick of, I'm sick of standing. <laughs> Dope. All right, I'm going to read a poem. Because it's my reading, and it's the five-year anniversary. I'm just going to read one poem, and then we're going to move on to the last three readers. When you leave your body, it doesn't happen all at once. It looks like losing wallet. A, bat, a pat on your back pocket, you figure, in my jacket then. You go to the corner store to buy a can of tomatoes. Did you wear the wrong jacket? You can leave your body by noticing someone else's body. The way their face turns blotchy pink with every pull from the whiskey bottle. You mimic the pull and you mimic their footsteps through the wet grass, meeting their long stride, the toes of your sneakers dark with dew. We aren't meant to occupy one space at one time, the duality of wants and thoughts, how you can want soft and sugary ice cream, but desperately want to dip fries, sick with salt, into the cream. You can want to make yourself an honest man, but keep getting drawn again to suck dick in the back room. The duality is like this. You leave your body, lick a pink neck, lose your anal virginity, and tell your future wife you still want to marry her, because that felt true at the time. What also was true is that you floated above on the 18th floor of a hotel room, sucking on a body you would have died to keep sniffing and humping, their handkerchief tied around your neck, the smell of them making you weep all day long. What is an orientation if there's no north? You think this is a you problem, but everyone wants it all, the frosting and the strawberry filling, the beer and the whiskey, freedom and captivity. Why else would we do what we do? You wanted to be a rock star, jumping off amps and swallowing pennies. You ended up a piano player, miserable in every major to minor shift. You never know what sort of person you're going to be. You're split in two by your body, by the surge of hormones. Will you be morose and moody? Will you snipe and grouse? Will you get so horny you think you might hump your red leather armchair if you don't get a message back on the app soon? You're just trying to have fun. Well, you're just trying to make money. It seems too simple, really. Your wrist hurts. Too many aptitude tests. The only roller coaster you like is the casual fuck. So why not? It only take two things, asking for what you're owed and leaving your body, which you do anyway. You don't need to be a redwood or an old growth hemlock rooted in loam lands. You just gotta be like all the birds in this town. So fucking horny. You're just a little patovato. You're just a little pansy. You just gotta walk the line. You just gotta keep your feet. Thank you. That's all I'm reading for you tonight. Net, who said more? Oh. <laughs> Quinn Rodriguez is next. My name is Quinn Rodriguez. I go by they, them pronouns, and you are listening to the Queer Public Podcast. What do you think you get out of poetry? Like, what does it do for you? It does a lot of things. It's probably the one thing that I have felt most confident within myself um, growing up and um, becoming an adult and everything. It's always been something 
I've felt good about ever since I was, you know, in middle school. For me, it's just a really good resource to just get feelings out and like communicate thoughts that I had nowhere else to put. And getting that feedback within the group of, you know, you can't kill a poet. It's like such an honor for me because I've always just kind of, before that, I was just always writing in my journal for myself, which was fine and great. But being able to put my words out there and get such a loving, positive feedback and just feel like, oh, maybe I can like do something with this, you know, like maybe like people will kind of get something from it that maybe I don't even intend for, but at least I'm expressing myself in a healthy way and getting like positive feedback. It really changed my world. It really did. Oh yeah, the, the community has always been really supportive. Yeah, I mean, I've read a couple poems um, at You Can't Kill a Poet. I remember there was one that I read that was about my mom who had passed away when I was a, a teenager. And after the reading, somebody came up to me and was like, I really connected with that poem. Like a lot of things that you were saying were things that I have felt and that experience, you know, it's a tough one. And, and I, I, it's nice to see people connect in that way. And through such a tough thing like that, it's, it's, uh, it's uplifting. And even though like the poem is maybe sad and kind of heavy subject, um, it's good to it's good for me to have that kind of feedback and feel like, oh, maybe it's not so lonely. Quinn Rodriguez is a 25-year-old queer poet from the suburbs of South Jersey. They have poems published in On Fire Literary Magazine by Ryder University, and their work has been, has been featured in past You Can't Kill a Poet readings. Quinn is a barista, a Virgo, and a lover of words. They can be found on Instagram at QuinnXRodriguez. Please give it up for alum, Quinn Rodriguez. Hi guys. How are you guys today? All right, thank you for having me. I do appreciate being in a room with such amazing people. Um, I'm gonna be reading about three poems tonight. And uh, this first one, this first one is about a guy named Ramsey Orta. Um, if you don't know this person, I suggest looking them up online. Um, but I read an article about a month ago about him and it inspired this, so here we go. There you are, Ramsey, and here I am, lucky enough to unravel my tired truth upon this canvas of community and understanding. My pleas become paint splatter brushed against a blank piece of paper, been trying, to been trying to untangle my own trauma, like the telephone cord wrapped around my finger, like the invisible news time wraps around my neck, listening and twisting the storylines of so many into mine, while everyday traumas are tethered to, tethered to titans and giants like you, who will never know my name, but in their head and in their bed, they are suffering in prison cells, cautiously shaking, consciously considering suicidal impulses in order to spare their family, all while waiting for an opportunity to reconnect to the outside world. But the outside world has not set up their voicemail box, and you cannot leave a message after the beep. If Ramsey Orta could leave a message after the beep, maybe he'd leave a goodbye message to his friend Eric, 
whose life was taken by an officer of the law who heard, who heard Eric gasp in final breaths, I can't breathe. I can't breathe 11 times, 11 pleas spilled into the cement, gone silent in seconds. There goes those hands wrapped like a noose strangling time out of his chest. Or maybe he would call his girlfriend from prison and say how full his belly was with Pop-Tarts and the ramen noodles she mails him and how she would always show up on visitor days with food in hand, shaking from her MS diagnosis waiting for her man. She brings him food bought by her because it is the only meal he will eat. Everything else is given by the prison is peppered with rat poison. When the world turns its back against you, closes the cell and swallows the key, it's easy to starve yourself in order to save yourself when the hunger of hope gets beaten out of you. A backhand across the lockjaw of your yelling. There are so many lives being cut in half, twisted and then tied back together in worlds, in worlds all tangled up in treacherous territory, pulled taut by those stubborn to the story, being barely held together by the knot in the throat of a woman, of a mother named Emily who calls her strong-willed son little husband, who prays for the safety of Ramsey every night before she goes to sleep. I get choked up thinking about all the lives come undone like ribbon, whose existence was unwrapped so permanently and perfect, whose voice was steadily stamped over time and time again. They say that the truth will set you free, but not before it is done with you, not before the wrists and ankle cuffs have left their marks, to wash your hands clean of the truth, to file away the sins of our history, to slip the truth in between the lines, to reach out your hands in present prosperity and say, I have done these things. I am not a being without fault. I am a suspect to my own decline, but I am a witness to my own revival. And with that, my words are writhing free from the solitary confinement of my mouth. And I wish to speak to a man who sits in shoe and suffers for the satisfaction of others whose whole world has unraveled behind the bars of our memory, whose story with this poem is breathing just a few more broken breaths, who sits quietly now, all eyes surveying his history, but the world has let go of the promise to protect his future. How dare we make jokes of our future as if there are not bodies digging holes in the cement walls of their cages all over the world, hoping to catch a breath of fresh air. Ramsey may not see freedom until the end of this year. It's been five years of wrestling with the law and a world that won't carry his name into the light, but instead drag the bones of his broken spirit through the darkness of our daunting, unjust universe called life. Ramsey knows words and moving images can spark a movement of resilience. That standing witness to a moment of brutality will forever break the bars that have been built between us. So make these life sentences matter. Write the, words we, write the words we keep to ourselves over and over and over again. Stand up for yourself and for others. Keep showing up even when the world says you can't. Capture the moments we fear losing the most, but no holding onto them forever will convict us both. I wish for the day Ramsey sees the bars of his guilt and fear of existence opening up and the world we all grew up in welcomes him back. I think there will be some freedom in this release. Thank you.
Thank you. Um, this is a short one. It's called The World and I. The world will look me up and down, turn a cold shoulder to my wants, to my wants and needs, as the world has done time and time again to everyone. The world is always changing, but never fast enough. I am always changing, but never quite in the right way. There are still only 365 days in a year, but they seem to be blinking by. As the sun and moon start to appear the same, together we are spinning in an endless abyss of, a glittery, of glittery unknown bliss. And in the blink of an eye, I spin to the beat of my heart and the world. We both shall bend and break and bleed and build ourselves anew again. Thank you. Do you remember when the thief dressed in darkness broke into your night? This night I catch a glimpse and I see myself in the mirror and I see a robbery in process. I hold onto light like an, like an eclipse gun, trying to shoot into the center of me, an old fashioned holdup of darkness being taken from a prism of light. I have yet to shoot straight into the window of my own exploration. I watch the world watch me and their eyes have yet to see the stealing of light. They're watching the silver switchblade of my tongue and how it's been slowly dulled by the eventual chalk outlines of bodies that don't really look like the bodies we died in. Nothing but crooked rough drafts left on the pavement. I see the world pass by and step on the outlines of ghosts who are just trying to see themselves for who they are. How this body and tongue have conspired together to carry out the eventual crime of self-sabotage. Body and tongue flirting with being gone because all that is loved is already leaving and now has already arrived somewhere else, already been broken into or stolen in one way or another, and I don't want to be any of those things longer than necessary. So the thief discovers a rare thing and it will not stay still. It wants to hold everything to the light, hoping it will reflect back in a way that turns this robbery into a, into a reunion. This unnamed thing can be seen from both sides through and through. How it looks like my heart held hostage, tied with one arm behind its back. This rope, a resilient knot of an immeasurable worth, tearing at the seams to be set free. When finally set free, come find me in the mirror, undressing from all that darkness we pulled together. How this darkness has been worn out like a bulletproof vest, but also a veil, covering up all those seasons of self-sacrifice we gave. So we keep reloading our identity in a world shooting blank pages through an open window, waiting for the blood to write back. When my blood writes back, the letter will say, I stood witness to the stealing of my own light, that all the years of loving and being loved like a child only made me sick. My heart set loose, armed with a weapon of light, locked and loaded, ready to shoot through anything that moves away from the center of me. Like the armor I always needed, my blood stays thick and heavy with all the shades of red, and the world will let me bleed. Thank you.
Give it up for Quinn. <laughs> Quinn's one of my, my, my newer alums from this year, and I'm really grateful to have met them. I'm really grateful to have had them back. And um, it just feels good. Sometimes you meet folk and you know that you know that they're going to like continue to be a part of of your community for a long time, and that's been extremely true of Quinn. I met Quinn like in 2018, and Quinn has continuously been a huge supporter and participant of You Can't Kill a Poet. It's been really great. So thank you, Quinn. Uh, ditto goes for uh, our next reader, Janice Steele. My name is Janice Steele. I am a florist, and I'm also a writer, a poet. I just moved to Philly. I'm from East Harlem. I was uh, heckled at an open mic recently. I went to an open mic at a bar in Philly. I was feeling really vulnerable that day that I went. I didn't go there. And the first people that are up are rappers and I was just like this is awesome like oh my god like people are rapping here next people were rappers third person was up was rappers next person up was like a guy playing guitar but like there's nobody there so I'm like okay this is gonna be fine I go outside to like smoke a cigarette and I walk back in and it's completely full and I was just like just so you know, I'm not a comedian, so you don't have to worry. <laughs> like, I'm not about to say anything funny. And I was just like, and they laughed. And I was like, I'm not a singer. I'm not an actor. Like, I'm not a stripper. Because, like, you know, I didn't want to, like, I was just being funny, right? And, like, I kind of have, like, I just talk. And then as soon as I said I'm not a stripper, they were like, Take off your clothes, show us your boobs. And I was like, no, 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 no. Can't give them a mile because they, they want to run the whole marathon, you know? And I'm up there and I was like, my poem's called Taco Bell. And then that, that even added on to that. And they were like, your poem's called Taco Bell. Yeah, show us that pussy. It was like ridiculous, you know? And the person like running the open mic didn't do anything. And I was on stage by myself. I'm like, you got the right one because this poem's about sexual assault. So I start going into the poem, right? Yeah. And like, they're still heckling me. And I just, I kind of like had to stop in the middle of it because yeah. this poem is about sexual assault. And like, guys, do you really want to do this right now? Like, are we still talking about my pussy? <laughs> I'm not going to take off my clothes. That was a joke. Like, chill. And then I brought their mothers. I was just like, like, what would your mother say right now? You, would you be talking about this if your mother was in the bar? Anyway, my poem. <laughs> and I started going into my poem and like, eventually the bar just goes like so silent. Like you can't hear anything. No one is saying anything except for like people laughing and clapping, you know, being like, damn. And I was like, I was up there and I was like, damn. Like, <laughs> I make like a bar full of white men go like completely silent, but I did. And uh, after that show, like a guy came up to me and was just like, like he had tears in his eyes and he was just like some dad or something. And he's just like, on behalf of all goofy white men, I just want to say thank you. And like grabbed my hand and like kissed it. And like, I was just like, uh, I don't know, uh, support black businesses. Like, what do you want me to say right now? <laughs> 
Janice is another another reader who uh, read last year for the first time, and uh, I'm I'm glad to have them back for the uh, anniversary. Janice loves flowers and her house dog Bee. She loves poetry because it can be an intimate conversation within you, or like telling a good friend what you love about them, or it can be an argument. She lives in Philly and she likes it here. Um, I don't really, I feel awkward reading this part, but she insisted I add it. She also wants to give a big shout out to You Can't Kill a Poet for making this happen and holding space for something that has always felt good. Give it up for Janice Steele. So this is a really special event. Um, unfortunately, I wrote all the poetry that I'm gonna read yesterday. At like 3 a.m. It was awful. <laughs> no, it was really, it was really funny. I, I wanted to go, you know, you're trying to do this whole like new year, new me. I wanted to like have eight hours of sleep, but and I like started smoking weed too. So like I just like go to sleep better and like I was having like this really fond memory of sleeping in the bed with my grandma when I was little and how she used to like listen to the radio and I used to fall asleep with her and like you could tell she just couldn't stand like the noise. We lived in New York so you could just tell like she had to, she needed that, you know? And I've gotten to the age where I need that if I'm not sleeping, if I'm sleeping alone or something or if I'm not sleeping on a friend's couch. Hey Sarah, shout out. Thanks for not saying anything about me wearing this shirt yesterday. Uh, anyway, so I decided, I was like, oh my God, I need to like put on NPR so I can go to sleep. And then like, I'm about to go to sleep, NPR, you know, like they started off like doo doo doo. And that's when I first heard about Alabama. And I'm like trying to go to sleep, right? And I'm like listening to the news and I'm just like, wait, what the fuck is going on? And I get up and I, I write all night and I hate it, but. So uh, if this sounds crazy, I just want you to know where it's coming from, okay? Um, so this poem is called, A Bitch is Tired and Broken into Fragments of Her Former Self. And I forgot to print out a page, so I'm gonna have to go to my phone at one point. Uh, okay. Seventeen uh. K fragments. Let me sing. If ashes turn to ashes, let me be the dust that tackles over leaves into the garden that corrupts the ocean. Let me linger over the tides cutting from each foam of white dew out of each topaz tower, smiling as my enormous hands drowns white bubbles into its previous form. Is it easier to let the aches on your back and the wounds on your spine nestle wearily and traumatize between our solar plexus and our soul? Walk through generations limp and withered. How many miles to that promised land again? Let me sail there with my back tethered to the anchor and my soul weightless. Let white lies live under my tongue and let only truth trek this voyage of monolithic love, chewing a truth, 
of flesh between my gaps, between the gaps in my teeth. Let me lick on this nipple like the day I was born into this world, like the day I was hungry. And let the timber and tone about myself bring life to strangers and let me love them. 18K fragments, city blocks by blocks built into granite dirt fortresses, blocks by blocks that mirror the white buildings, homogenous, blacks bought out by the white flight reversal system. It's, it's failure to, to form a utopia made of fences and pearls, the perils of war worn on their father's faces. I was born to be haunted hearing ghost sweeps the floor, listening to the re remnants of life live through wood panels, hollowness in the hieroglyphs of American failure. I was born to believe that white noise that stings the silence of my home is actually the NSA listening to me sleep, fuck, and masturbate. I was born shaking the grave dirt cl cluttered underneath my worn, baby, worn out baby shoes while some walk barefoot kicking the dirt, whistling with charm and flagrant funk. Grave dirt is a gopher in the Congo. Grave dirt is grass in white American literature. Who lies in it again? Don't we all suffer? Who mixes grave dirt and red, and red wine for luck? Who laughs at people that swell in the sun? Who allows each morning to, to blister into the bruised afternoon? Who lets the earth decide its indecision, its imbalance? Who feels this repercussions? Let me watch all the flat earthers walk into the sun, laying down with a basket and some fruit. Let me have a fucking picnic. And then I have to go to my phone. Hold on. Minor intermission. Anyway, I hope you guys all had a great day and you're dry. Uh, yeah. Sorry about this. I, this never happens. I also never read poetry that I've written yesterday. Who, who does that? It's like freestyle poetry right now. I'm freestyling. This is my, uh, I'm a battle rapper now. Uh, 19 fragments, 19K fragments. Alabama is burning. There's a man on fire outside the White House. Alabama is walking into oblivion. She is on fire. She is a hot mess. But she wants to be jazz. She wants to kiki and curse and breathe. She wants a womb of her own. She wants to choose. She wants her soul to advance into a poet, into a praise. She wants jazz leaping in benevolence. She wants to shake her ass. She wants to fuck. She wants to never fuck again. She wants to die her own death. She wants jazz. She wants you to kick dirt on the flames and shout, isn't this a crime happening here? It's her body she's burning, it's her body. She's burning right before our eyes. Do we get to say or do we just get another okay? For you, it's a K. For me, it's a K. For you, it's a K for every century the Congo was held hostage and stripped down with the letter C. K for every C and every song and every self that was cut out of history. 
cut with the tip of a knife, corroded with tissue, split, let there be silence for this memory, for her song. For the memory of every poet, let me just say, fuck Walt Whitman. Not for his language or his use of structure or his poetics, but because he poked black bodies with decorative canes, toying in civility, putting the blame on the age of time. Let me be the one to give her poetry. Let me teach her how to scream. I'm gonna read this poem. See, I have like at least one friend go over uh, my poetry before like a set or anything. So I have one friend read, like only one person has read any of this. And they were like, oh no, I like it, it's really good. This one's a little dark. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, really? Really? And they were like, you can still do it. And I'm like, This one's called, uh, this one's probably, I guess this is the poem about your dad that you write, right? Every, every poet has a poem about their dad. <laughs> this one's called The Why to My Ex. Pianos are for Sundays, like pork rinds and beans, brochures stacked along the kitchen table, funny bones banging on the counter, news articles, bills and the broken bracelets, magazines with all the black people on the cover, familiar steps outside of each room. I still hear it. Your father is massive. He is tall. He is of black. He is black. They will kill him. He is handsome and he is brilliant. They won't let him go. My father played piano all of five songs, past midnight summers into falls of sudden change. He would save a song for every Sunday. The hum laced from his smooth silk of a thick brow, your daddy's big little girl, low enough to hear the voice through his stomach, old enough not to flinch when he suddenly turns to you. You find him gentle sometimes, as firm hands tipping a child's body into the ocean. I air out my wounds to offer a reflection, find God beneath my bed, waiting for a mirror to be left open, waiting to be more than something you left behind, big daddy. I lost shape in you. I don't know how to search for you. You left no instructions. You didn't even read them. It hurts me way more than it hurts you. The slamming of the front door, the wire hangers, the hugs and the kisses right after, my broken glasses. How do I keep you safe? I've always wanted to die. I've wanted, wait, sorry. Let me get back some water. <laughs> How do I keep you safe? I've always wanted, I've wanted to die for so long. Maybe it's what I've always wanted to do. But they drain the poison out of me every time, sewing the stuffing back into me, stitching me up like new. You treat me like a dog. 
You called me a bitch. You made me drink your blood and fetch your shoes. You've taught me only how to care and never how to be loved. And now I crave relics of you. Now I belong to you. What's the time on this? Am I time? Where's Boston? Boston, am I good? I got two more. One's really short, though. One's like classic Long Janice. Sorry, guys. I don't know why I'm like this. Literally, I just got a therapist. <laughs> Boy, is she in for it. <laughs> she doesn't know what she's getting herself into. But it's great. At my first meeting, I was like, please don't call me in. This happens all the time. And she's like, don't worry. I've only had to call one person. I only had to like 503 one person. And I'm like, great. OK, we'll stay here. <laughs> I'm tired of going to the ambulance. Uh, this song's called Final. Song. I'm not singing. <laughs> song of myself. Fuck you, Walt Women. Stop haunting me. There's a table next to a wall in the library, in the corner of the library. I sit in a chair at the table in the corner of the library near everyone, and I masturbate in front of everyone in this fucking library. I'm sitting here clam sliding my clammy, cold hands into my pencil skirt, rubbing my click index finger, curled and pressed pinky finger leading down my ass, not necessarily into anal. This is more for the spectacle. I'm staring straight at the wall, then at the ceiling, and then at the wall again, and I can't see or feel any faces watching me, judging me, no interruptions, cough, cross-eyes, no one watches me watch the wall, fucking myself, and I am going to town! To silence, to page turning, to typing, to sweating, to pencil chips, to loose whispers, to questions. Why isn't anyone stopping me? Now I'm about to come. Oh, I swear I'm about to come in this fucking library. I'm going to come, sitting in the corner at the table, quivering cut lips inside of my thighs, loose lips, soft chills rushing through my breast. Someone opened the window. The light shines, swallowing my features. Features, God, are you there? Great timing. Hope you're enjoying the show. Hope you're enjoying being a witness to this spectacle, this sacred, spectacular, theatrical, spectacular blessing on my beautiful body, right? I am so fucking beautiful, right? I can't forget, I can forget. I can forget why I'm here. I can forget about fear. I can forget about law. I can forget about breaths, entitlement, despair. I can forget God, women, man, other. I can forget forefathers, merry mothers, scolding girls in the bathroom stalls for fucking themselves so good. They forget. They forget sickness. They forget that what sits but not below the desk, the chewing gum by their knees while I forget why I'm here at this table sitting in the corner of the library masturbating instead of crying. This is a 
love poem I wrote for someone I'm not supposed to be in love with? We all have those people in our lives. Don't laugh at me like that. Um, it's very short, obviously. I've been single for six years, so I don't even know what love is. That's why I fall in love with people I'm not supposed to. This is not there. I'm sorry, I canceled my therapy session today. Hi, guys. <laughs> this doesn't have a title. <laughs> I'm just embarrassed. Okay. Silent as the earth before rainfall, and quieter than a comet drowning in the sea. I think the ground you walk on and I love the coarse rind surfaces of your feet. I count the days on your toes and memorize what sounds like giant steps, heartbeat out the other. You hate the feet I love more than sun, more than any other part of your body. I love your feet for every mile they took to find me. for Janice. Please just pumped to have you back again. Oh man, we only have one more reader for you tonight. I'm gonna introduce her and uh, we're gonna we're just we're going through the motions here. I have I have too many feelings to talk to you for too long. Lara Kochman is trying to write in Philadelphia. Her work is found most recently in Bird Feast, The Wanderer, The Tiny, Interrupture, Entropy, and others. She is the author of Future Skirt from Dancing Girl Press, The Bone and the Body from Bat Cat Press, and some other unstable procedures. We all have a few of those. Please give it up for Lara. Also, just about the five-year anniversary of me moving to Philadelphia Woo! because Barry and I moved to Philadelphia together. It's not a coincidence. Um, and just about five years ago, we moved here from Alabama, um, which has been in the news a lot lately. Um, so when Boston asked me to read for this five-year anniversary reading, I thought, oh, I should read something that's like a little bit older, a little bit from back then. So um, I thought that I would read from this book, The Bone and the Body, which is um, basically out of print because my publisher doesn't respond to emails. And um, 
I don't believe them when they say that they're going to do another edition. So um, if you're interested, I'm probably going to just like put a PDF of this up on the internet somewhere so that anyone can read it. Um, anyway, so um, this is basically a book length poem, um, but it's broken up into pieces, some of which have titles, some of which don't. A lot of them have the same title over and over again. Um, so just to like give you a sense of what is coming. I'm just going to read the, the very beginning of it because it's long. Um, but uh, for some context, I had a really bad landlady who got folded into this narrative. Um, if you're familiar with um, the character Baba Yaga from Folklore, she's in here too. Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> I lived in a really gross apartment. Um, the Jersey Shore. Um, and anyway, I just, it's weird reading this back now because it's been such a long time, but um, there's a lot in here about just like, problems with living in a body um, and, you know, bodily autonomy that still really resonates with me. So anyway, that's like a really long uh, introduction. Just get into it. Right. Okay. Um, so this is just the very beginning of The Bone in the Body. Terms of Lease, October 14th. In the interest of full disclosure, this is the bad end of the beach. Seawalls too small, too swollen with oysters and rot, too slippery to climb. At night, my feet still skip from rock to rock, finding the shallow holds too late and twisting into the sand, crushing oysters underfoot. All right, the oysters are only a symptom of storms, and I may have planted some for company, bone and hard as night. I've come to love their stale shells, their crested hinges. Don't listen when I sit on the rotting balcony and cry over invisible horses, their rhythm the only evidence, their hooves turned from birth, I am sure. If only, I cry, if only someone had noticed their feet could have healed and straightened, if only in the sea. Sometimes I will open the stain you call garage and unfold the folding chairs. Sometimes they will block the sun. Sometimes the fabric will twist into the metal tines. Sometimes rust will catch the hinges, and they will crack down the middle. At night, I will turn on the spray hose, twist the laundry line until it snaps against the siding. The buckets in the laundry room are for soaking, for the soft frog of a horse's foot to rotate down into. Salt stings, but it keeps the floors from creaking, keeps the hoof beats on the boardwalk. This house is sunburn. Don't change the light bulb in the living room. You might see my glowing hand, my fingertips burned and indistinctly seared into the glass. Letter to a tenant, October 16th. 
Before it burned in the sun, before I cured and striped its steps with salt, before I ate its floors and scratched its papered walls, before the storm came tearing and I let it, before my fingers dragged down the laundry lines, before my feet fell from the third floor to the first, before the wasp planted a nest in the garage and stung us all like salt, before the rotation of the hoof occurred, before I was unsound, before any paint flecked, before the nails removed themselves from the premises, before founder became inevitable, before I smelled only of night, before a wave ever came to know it, this house was yellow. Letter to a tenant, October 17th. Out back behind the house, I planted a garden once. I gave the seeds a chance, spilled their hinged bodies into pots, gave them dirt from a bag. I watered them with buckets filled from the sea, tiny sea bugs squirming on the dirt face. They burrowed into the garden like they burrowed into wet sand, feet first. I stood over the pots in the darkness. I tapped a sea code into their bones. I made a miniature house of sea glass. I crushed the sea glass. I told the seeds a story about a woman in the woods and a house that walked through the forest and stamped its feet on all the ferns. I waited. I crushed the sea glass. One day I dumped too much water from the bucket and knocked them over, let my fingers rampage through the dirt, and found no seeds, no growing pods, but one mangled brown root system, a dank and dirty claw. I'm sorry, I'm really distracted by the music. <laughs> no, it's just... A it's good song. <laughs> if you're like, why did she suddenly seem kind of... That's why. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah. Uh, letter to a tenant, October 19th. If there really is a woman in the woods, she haunts a house on golden... Wow. Mm -hmm. It's music. She haunts a house on gilded chicken legs. Not golden. If there really is a house, if there really is a form, a shell, an owner in the home, in my dreams, I find it and it turns away, a funnel of cracked skin and old shingles, a blackened forest, a crowd of fiddleheads. The bony legs extend as if to let me stroke them, but I wait too long and they whirl away, a spinning top, helix of dirt and scabs. To the woman in the woods, October 20th, you chose dirt. You took the woods. I speak of you now as though I knew you once, or maybe I always spoke of you gone. It was your fault. The way the wind shattered all the plaster pots, the sharp sidewalk of glass and broken siding under my feet, the playing cards scattered in the sea. Your fault. I eat dirt when I can find it, scratching at the neighbor's tires in the night, digging at the distance between woods and water. My arms hang too long, clear a path through the wind. I drag them down the road and back to the seawall, the same segment of gravel, back to the seawall, the same stretch of sand-dusted road, back to the seawall, and my hands are never scraped. Letter to a tenant, October 23rd. In the interest of full disclosure, there is a woman in the woods. Sometimes through the trees, she teases me, the tail end of a chimney disappearing in a flicker, the dark smell of her fading, just the scritch scratch of talons eating through the air. 
I tell myself the house is not empty, but honest, I cannot know. I've lost it too many times. The chipped paint on the exterior windows and the sheen of the doorknob under my hand. Or I never touched it. All right, I never touched it. It runs away on bony legs, tucks itself white through the trees. Somehow it is all shrinking, shuddering under, the trees darker than a closed mouth. All right, I say this to the sand. I say this to my empty hands. These days, I feel a half shell. Sometimes I call to the woman in the woods and she pours out of my mouth. Sometimes she stinks of my salt. I find myself sniffing along the sidewalk, but I'm only following my own bright tail. I bury my feet in the sand and the salt water takes them and takes them again and takes them again. I turn away from the woods, but cannot stop myself from turning, betraying my ends. And the salt knows it, and I turn again. Thanks. Give it up, Alaya! That's the end of our night, y'all. Thank you to Tattooed Mom for having us. Thank you to the Queer Public Podcast for recording us. There will be updates on that in the future. Um, and thank you all for being here. I am, I am humbled and happy, and I'm. Uh, there's just so much queer joy every time we're all in a room together. So I want to thank you all for coming out and making that happen. Give yourselves a round of applause. <laughs> I'm gonna let you go for the night. I'm gonna say three things. I'm gonna say, fuck Ronald Reagan, queer assimilation is death, and you can't kill a fucking poet. Thank you. You're listening to the Queer Public Podcast. You're listening to Queer Public. Thanks for sticking around. I feel like Hannibal Buress has said that, like, move to Philly, start a noise band. <laughs>